You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's our amazing pastor's wife, Deva Hand, with this week's message. Well, the title of this sermon is A Must Win Battle. And, uh, you know, there's some things you just have to win. Uh, And then there's some things you can lose, like weight. That's a good thing to lose. (laughs) This week, Rick and I had the opportunity to go and spend some time at the beach. And so we were at the condo. And, you know, at the beach, my hair gets huge because it's curly. And I had it tucked up under this uh, ball cap. And it was an Alabama cap. And this guy, yeah, this guy... (laughs) This guy came up to me, and he started talking to me like I knew something about sports. I mean, he was just saying, hey, are y'all ready for this team? Because he was from Oklahoma. And he was saying, y'all ready for this team and this team and this team? And I was like, and I wanted to say, I don't care. And then then Rick comes up, and he says, are you talking to my wife about sports? I mean, she knows nothing, nor does she care. I don't care who wins. I don't care who loses. I don't lose any sleep over it. So there's some things you can lose, and it's okay. But the battle for the soul of our child and our children, you cannot lose that. That is a must win. We have to win that battle. And um, as Christian parents, we need to realize the eternal destiny of our children is the most important matter of their life. I think we know that. I just think we have to constantly remember that. I think we know it, we just sometimes forget it. That is, we, we want them to go to good schools and have good careers and have good families and just have good health and all the things that we try to do for our kids. But the most important decision they will ever make is if they will follow Christ or not. Because that's for eternity. And so as Christian parents, our most important job is to lead them, to lead our children to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and help them grow into mature Christians. But that's not as easy as it sounds because we have an opponent that wants just the opposite. I hear so many people today, not just mothers, say what a scary place this world is now, how evil it is. You're afraid to let your child do anything and go anywhere and and you don't trust people and just all these terrible things are happening and it's just a scary place. But let me tell you, I don't want to give the devil a lot of credit this morning because he's a liar and he doesn't have any more control over us than we let him. We have an advocate with the Father who takes care of us and provides for us. And so I don't want to give him a lot of credit, but let's just face it, the world is evil. And it's probably the most evil it's been in my lifetime. But there's always been evil. Have you ever thought about when Moses was born? They were slaughtering male children. (laughs) That was a scary time. To be a parent. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were taken from their home. They were sent to another land. They were taught false doctrine to worship idol gods, and they said no, and they were put into a fiery furnace. That's a scary time to be a parent. Or what about Daniel? He was put into a lion's den. David actually faced a real live giant, and all those people survived. They fulfilled God's purpose. And they influenced others, and they're still doing that today. Our God is not a God of defeat. He is a God of overcoming. And so that's why I said I don't want to give the devil any credit this morning. We know what he's doing. We can see it every time we turn on the news. And it's so easy to do that. I remember during COVID, I about had nervous breakdown. I, I'd turn on the news. I'd see all this bad stuff, and I'd get it all up, built up in my mind. And then one day, I was reading... Um, an article by Bill Johnson, the pastor at Bethel, and he said, and this really hit me, so I just wanted to share it with you when you start thinking about all the evil in the world. I just wanted to share this with you. He said, if the mainstream media has more influence on your life than the Word of God, then your discouragement is self-inflicted. And I said, that's me. I need to turn the TV off, and I need to open up the Word of God, and I need to see what He promised me, what He can do, not what the world's doing, not what Satan's doing, not what politicians are doing, or governments, or doctors. I need to see what the Word of God says. Don't be 
don't be fearful. Be brave. You can raise a David. You can raise a Moses. You can raise a, um, a Shadrach or a Meshach or a Daniel. You can do it because God has a purpose. Um, but it's not going to be easy. There's, it's going to take some prayer. And I don't mean like just those little prayers we say when we're really tired at night and we fall into bed and we're like, oh, and we pray a little bit and we drift off to sleep. I'm talking about some fervent prayer. Have you ever uh, run into somebody and you knew they were going through a hard time and you say, well, what can I do for you? And they say, well, all you can do is pray. That's all you can do. We say that like prayers, just like this little trivial task we could do, this little menial task we could do. It's just like wimpy. Just pray. It's a wimpy thing to do. And it's the most powerful thing we can do. Next time somebody says they're going to be praying for you, say, thank you. You're going to get on your face. You're going to call my name. It's going to go straight to the throne of God, and something's going to happen. That's a powerful thing. Prayer is powerful, and you cannot pray enough for your child. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't really have a lot of influence on my child because they don't live in my house anymore. Well, the battle's not over yet, and prayer still works. No matter where they are and what they're doing, prayer still works. But well, we've got to pray some of those hot, fervent prayers like it talks about in James, where it says the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. There's a lot of translations. Some say that, righteous, that prayers of a righteous person moves mountain, um, changes things. The fervent, righteous prayer avails much. Fervent prayer is like passionate, hot, fiery prayer. I don't mean you're running around all screaming and hollering, jumping up and down, even though sometimes you might have to do that. But I'm talking about that passion that's in your heart. And you get on your face and you pray that fervent prayer. And then there's another word up there that I think we need to remember, and that's righteous. You don't hear a lot about that nowadays. Everybody has this kind of like, well, if you're happy, then that's good. If you're happy, if it makes you happy, that's not true. The word says for us to be righteous people. And I used to get hung up on that. I used to think I could never do enough. I could never be good enough. I could never, I could never be righteous enough. I never felt righteous. And then I realized one day reading the word that when I am covered in the blood of Jesus, when he's forgiven me of my sins and he is in me and I am in him, when the father looks at me, he doesn't see my righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so I'm a righteous person. I may not hit the mark every time, but I'm righteous because I'm sold out to Jesus. And righteousness is very important. Our kids need to see us be righteous people, do godly things when evil things are going on. And so <laughs> righteousness is important because the Bible talks about putting on that breastplate of righteousness. You know, that covers our heart and our lungs, the very thing that gives us life, that pumps our blood, the air we breathe. And if you're like most mothers, your family is all your life. Don't let Satan steal your righteousness. Don't think it's not important. You keep righteous before the Lord so that your prayers are effective. <clears throat> and so we're going to have to pray those hot, earnest prayers. We're going to have to be righteous people. And then we're going to have to do something else. And that kind of brings me to what I want to talk about today. We're going to have to be determined because Satan is determined. He is relentless. And we ha we're going to have to be. <clears throat> so I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about RISPA. And I know I've talked about her before, but it's been a long, long time ago. And you may say, oh, I've heard that before. Well, you might need to hear it again. Sometimes I have to hear things two or three times before I ever get it through my head. And they say, oh, that's what you're talking about, God. So, but it's not one of those stories that you hear about all the time. So I want to just share it in case there's a mother here this morning and you, <clears throat> and you haven't heard about Rispa. She's one of my favorite mothers in the Bible. <clears throat> and it's in 2 uh, Samuel and it's in the 21st chapter you'll, in the Old Testament. And let me just set it up because I don't have a lot of time to read. But um, Saul was king of Israel. And he wasn't a very good king. And he broke a treaty like a pact with the Gibeonites. They had a pact that went way back and that they wouldn't destroy the Gibeonites. But Saul, he, him and his army and his family, they decided they would just execute them they would just try to exterminate them drive them out of the land and so they broke that and God was not pleased with it and now in the 21st chapter Saul is dead David is king and there's famine in the land 
And so David, <clears throat> he goes to God and he says, why? Why is there famine? What, what are we doing? And God says, because of Saul and the treaty he broke with the Gibeonites. And so David goes to the Gibeonites and he says, what can we do to rectify this? How can we avenge you? And they said, give us seven sons of Saul and we're going to execute them. We're going to hang them on the mountain for everybody to see. It's going to be like Saul didn't get the last word. He didn't, you know, he, didn't, he wasn't the winner. So, and so David did. And he gave them two sons of Rispa. She was a concubine of Saul, and she gave, he gave him two sons that she had. And he gave five grandsons of Saul. So there were seven sons, and two of them belonged to Rispa. And that's where our story takes up in verse 10. It says, And then Rispa, the daughter of Ai, the mother of two of the men, spread burlap on a rock, and stayed there the entire harvest season. They were, it was a barley season, and that'll be important in a minute. She prevented the scavenger birds from tearing out their bodies during the day and stopped wild animals from eating them at night. You know, I can't imagine, I can't imagine this mother having that happen to her child. But I just think when she heard about it, not only was she grieving, but I think she was like, this is not right. My children, their father was a king, and they're going to hang them up on the mountain as a spectacle for the world to see? This is not right. And so Rispa, I can just see this little woman. I guess she was little. There was famine, and she took that sackcloth, and she slung it out on that rock, and it says that she kept the birds away and the wild animals away and I thought how did she do that and the only thing I can think of is that there was time she would take that sackcloth and she would just wave it at those scavenger birds and she'd say don't come near my child don't you dare light on them and don't you pick their bones and don't you tear their flesh and then at night when the wild animals came out to devour them and eat them and literally tear them apart the only thing I can think of that she did was she had a fire and she kept it close to, the, to, the, to her sons. Do you know what I'm saying? Some hot, fervent prayer close to your kids. And, then, and I think when the wild animals came, maybe she said, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. I'll take this stick. I'll set it on fire, and I'll set you on fire. I'll, I'll run you out of here. And she kept that fire hot, and she kept it close to her sons. That's the only way I can think of. And she stayed there. For three months, because that's how long barley season is. I looked it up. It's three months, and sometimes it can even extend to six months, but it was at least three months that she sat on that rock and kept the wild animals away and kept the birds away, and they didn't pick them, and they didn't tear them, they didn't devour them, because Rispa was keeping watch over them. And she sat there for three months. Now, three months is a long time to sit on a rock to me. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and we always think about the time thing when it comes to prayer and when it comes to doing warfare in prayer you know because we and I say this all the time too I say well I meant to really really spend time in prayer today but time just got away from me but I, I, I don't think that's an excuse anymore I really don't because I've learned that we do what we make priority um, if you knew you could get in your car and you could go to Target and buy what your child needs to fix their situation, to heal their body, to save their soul. If you knew you could go and buy it at Target, you'd get in your car and you'd drive to Target. And from my house, that's about 20 minutes at least. I live down the big hill, y'all know. And <clears throat> you would go and you would get it. And when you got there... If there was a long line of people waiting to get the same thing, you'd get in line, you'd wait. You'd wait for it. I know that because we do that with other things. We order things off Amazon now. But when Kristen was a little girl and Brent was a little boy, we'd get up on the day after Thanksgiving and it would still be dark outside and it'd be cold. And some people even took lawn chairs and they would camp out in front of the store until it opened so they could go in and get that one specific toy that their child wanted for Christmas that year. They would do that. I remember when Cabbage Patch dolls were all the rage. Every little girl had to have a Cabbage Patch doll. 
Now, I've seen this on the news. Kristen didn't have a Cabbage Patch doll. But people would stand in line, women would, and when they finally got inside, if there was just like a couple of dolls left, they would beat each other up over those dolls. They'd knock each other down and stomp on their head just about it to get a Cabbage Patch doll. And that's why Kristen didn't get a Cabbage Patch doll, because I am not a fighter. And I just figured that ugly doll was not worth losing my life over. So <clears throat> she eventually got one later on. But moms do things like that. Have you ever had your child tell you like about 7 or 8 o'clock one night, hey, I got a project due. And they said, and you're like, oh, really? When? In the morning. Well, what do you need? Well, I need some modeling clay, and I, I got to have two cans of spray paint, and I got to have some popsicle sticks. And I know it makes you mad, but what do you do? You get in the car, and you go to Walmart, and you get the clay and the paint, and you come home, and you stay up all night, and you make that project. We do things like that. We, we prioritize things like that. Why not do prayer like that? Why not say, my child needs this. There is nothing more than I can do for my child than to get on my face and spend some fervent, hot prayer for, for them. Keeping Satan away, keeping temptation away, keeping all the danger away. I know all of us worry about danger. Now, you can't go anywhere without feeling unsafe. Well, you know what? I, I pray Psalms 91 over my children and over my family and over our church all the time. It's, and pray that over your child as many times as you can. Psalms 91. The wickedness may be all around us. That's what it says. The wickedness may be all around us. A thousand might fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it's not going to come nigh to me and my family. Spend some time in prayer like you would if your child needed a Cabbage Patch doll. Spend some time in prayer. Because eventually, the king will hear. He did Rizpah, and this is what happened. When David learned what Rizpah, Saul's concubine, had done, he went to the people of Jabesh-Gilead Jabesh and retrieved the bones of Saul and Jonathan. And when the Philistines had killed Saul and Jonathan on Mount Gilboa, the people of Jabesh-Gilead stole their bodies from the public square of Bethshon, where the Philistines had hung them. So David obtained the bones of Saul and Jonathan, as well as the bones of the men the Gibeonites had executed. Then the king ordered that they bury the bones in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father, at the town of Zelah in the land of Benjamin. And after that, God ended the famine. The king will hear, and God will hear. I know sometimes we think, he doesn't hear me. He's not listening. He's not moving. But look what Rispa did. She stayed there, and David heard about it. And not only did he take and rescue Saul and Jonathan's bones, but he took the seven men that the Gibeonites um, executed, and he buried them in their proper place. I, I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, I didn't see anybody but Rispa up there on that rock. But there were seven of them. Five of them Rispa saved too that were not hers. I wonder how many kids we could pray for, moms, that aren't ours. A few weeks ago I was in here and we were, um, one of the high schools had rented this uh, warehouse here for um, a banquet, I believe it was. And all these kids were in here, and they were just having a good time, you know. They were just partying and eating and fellowshipping and all that stuff, you know. And I don't know. I was standing at the back back there, and I don't know. I just felt such a burden to pray for them. I just felt like God said, David, some of those kids don't have anybody that prays for them. They don't have anybody that calls their name out to God. And I thought, that's awful. That's the saddest thing I ever heard. What would you think if you never, if you knew nobody ever called your name out to God. How many kids could we pray for? How many kids could we rescue? I just stood back there and I said, God, I don't know these kids. I don't know their life. I don't know what they live in, what they go through, but I know that you do, and I know you have a plan and a purpose, and I pray that the enemy will not steal it away. I pray that somehow they would be rescued. You would put somebody in their path to speak life and to speak Jesus to them. And I prayed over them. And I, when I was doing this, I thought, 
how, much, how many kids could we pray for? We could sit in Carline. I sit in Carline to pick up Macy. And you know what I do? Sometimes I read my phone. Sometimes I listen to music. Why don't I put that up? And why don't I just pray, God, I don't know all these kids in this building, but would you please, please send somebody to rescue them? I don't, I don't even know their name, but you know their name, and I'm calling their name out to you. What about kids that your kids take dance and play sports? And just take some time and pray for them because Rispa, she was really just interested in her too, but she saved five. She saved the other five. That is important. Spend some time praying for somebody beside yourself. <clears throat> and then it says that uh, God ended the famine. And that was confusing to me too because I thought the deal was, I thought the deal was this. I thought that David was going to give the Gibeonites the seven sons and the famine was going to be ended. But this is three months, maybe even six months later, it says that God ended the famine. And I thought about that and I thought, God, why, why, why is that? That just kind of stuck out to me. And I felt like the Lord said, Rispa mattered too. She had to be avenged too. Her prayer needed to be answered too. You see, sometimes Satan will say, God's not listening to you. Your prayer's not important. But it is. Aren't you glad that that scripture doesn't say the prayers of a rich person or a famous person or a talented person or a preacher or a small group leader or avails much? He said the, a righteous person. The fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Because you see, the king, he had a request. The Gibeonites had a request, but Rispa had a request too. And God honored that, and he honors your prayers. And I know we get all caught up and think, God doesn't hear me. And I've been there before, and I have prayed and stayed on my face, and it felt like my prayers didn't go anywhere but up to the ceiling, and they just come back down. But you know what? We need to stop saying that because that's not true. You know how I know it's true, <clears throat> not true? Because... John talks about prayer in the book of Revelation. You see, John, he was, he was on the Isle of Patmos, and he was all alone, and he began to have visions, and, and God opened the heavens and let him look into heaven, and, and God said, write this down. Write everything you see down. And then Jesus, who in Revelation is referred to the Lamb, Jesus began to open these seals, and, and, and John wrote down all these things that were happening. And in the eighth chapter of Revelation, he talks about prayer. He talks about what is happening to my prayers and your prayers. And <clears throat> I just want to read it to you. And I want to read, I want to read, um, I want to read what, um, Max Lucado says about it. I love Max Lucado. Y'all know that. And I love the way he writes. And this is from The Great House of God. So if you ever want to read a good book, The Great House of God by Max Lucado. It's an old book, but it's really good. And <clears throat> I just want to read that to you. It's just going to take a couple minutes. And it, he's talking about Revelation chapter 8. And it says, For eight chapters we read the noises of heaven John hears. Glorious, loud, rambunctious, soft, holy sounds of heaven. The angels speak. The thunder booms. The living creatures chant, holy, holy, holy. The elders worship. You are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive all glory, honor, and power because you made all things. The souls of the martyrs cry out, how long? The earth quakes. The stars fall like figs in a windstorm. 144,000 people from every nation, tribe, people, and language of the earth shout in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The air is full of sounds, earthquakes, trumpets, proclamations, declarations. From the first word of the angel, there is constant, nonstop activity until chapter 8, verse 1. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Heaven hushes. And the Lamb opens the seventh seal. The first six seals reveal how God acts. But the seventh seal reveals how God listens. Look what happens when the seventh seal is open. And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given to him much incense, 
that he should offer it up with the prayers of God's holy people, God's righteous people, those fervent prayers, upon the golden altar which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it to the earth. And there were voices and thundering and lightnings and earthquakes. Every song ceased. Every being of the holy city hushed. The noise stopped. A sudden stillness fell like a curtain. Why? Why did the lamb lift his hand for silence? Because someone was praying. Heaven pauses to hear the prayers of a someone. A mother for her child a pastor for his church, a doctor for the diseased, a counselor for the confused. When someone steps up to the furnace with a burden, heaven is silent. Don't ever think that God doesn't hear your prayers. If, if that's true, then this is wrong. Because John saw that day what happens to our prayers. They go up before the throne of God, and they're like a sweet aroma to him. Mixed with that incense, they go up before him. And you know what I believe? I believe prayers never die. I believe the prayers that my mom and my dad prayed for me, I believe they go up before the throne still today. That's probably why I'm still alive. <laughs> well, I haven't lost my mind yet because their prayers are still going up. We talk all the time about leaving our kids something. We want to leave them something. We want to leave them money. <laughs> That's good. We want to leave them, you know, uh, a heritage. Leave them some prayers that continuously, that never die, go up before the throne. I want to also say um, that our prayers, they don't stop until they reach the throne of heaven. And I know you probably think that I've been praying today, that I've been talking today about um, little kids, raising them up. But like I said, even those kids that are not in our home, they are out. And we don't have a lot of say-so over them. Now, that's scary when they get to go out and make their own decisions. And I told you, I said, the battle's not over. You know, um, and you're, maybe some of you here today, your, your children haven't chosen to follow the path that leads to eternity with Jesus. Maybe they've, they're living in sin and they're, they're not even, you know, God is the farthest thing from their mind. And so you feel like they're making the wrong choice. But listen, God doesn't override. He doesn't override the, the um, free will of our children he ne or anybody. He doesn't override your free will. But you know what God does do? He does miracles. That's what he does, is miracles. And he knows how to miraculously change their heart and change their mind. So if you're here today and you think, my child's... I'm worried about where they spend eternity. I'm worried about their destiny. I'm worried about the choices they're making. Pray that God does a miracle and changes their heart and changes their mind because he can do that. Stand with me this morning. I want to pray. I want to pray over all our families this morning. And um, I want to pray for mothers. And I want to pray that we realize our job. We have, we're busy. We're busy folks. But I want us to prioritize our time. I want to I challenge you to do that. Just this week, make a special effort every day to spend some time in fervent prayer. Prayer that goes up. Remember that it goes up before the throne. You know, sometimes when I feel like my prayers aren't going up and then Satan will say, God's not listening to you. He don't care about you. He don't, that's not important to him. I just take out this book and I just read it and it reminds me. There's been times I've read it out loud so Satan could hear it too. And sometimes you might have to do that. You might have to go get your Bible and read Revelation chapter 8. But God does care and he does hear our prayer. And he does have a purpose for our child. And if he has a purpose, he has a plan to keep them. And he has a plan to uh, protect them and to draw them to him. And I want to pray for that this morning. Let's pray together. And when we get through praying, our prayer team is going to be on each side. Now, if you need to pray a hot, fervent prayer this morning, I suggest you not sit there and just look around. I suggest you come up here and you let somebody agree with you that, that 
unit that God's going to move, that the king's going to hear, and that your request is going to be heard. So let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for mothers. And I thank you for the mothers in this house today. And Lord, you see all of us have children of different ages. Some are just starting out. Dear Lord, I pray for wisdom for them. I pray, dear Lord, for guidance. I pray the Holy Spirit to just speak to their heart. And Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you would challenge them and call them to pray prayers that, that change the future for their child. And God, I pray, Lord, for those that we they're out of our home. We, we may not have any control over them, Lord. But Lord, I know, God, I know that the Holy Spirit can convict them and speak to them and lead them and guide them on the right path. And I pray that, dear Lord. And I pray, God, that I pray for mothers that we would have that unction in us, that we, that we wouldn't be able to get away from it until we spent time praying for our kids. We wouldn't be able to go to sleep at night until we got on our knees and we called their name, dear Lord. I pray, God, that that would just be um, uh, something that would be not just at the bottom of our to-do list, but uh, our absolutely top of our to-do list. And God, I pray for kids that maybe we don't even know. Lord, help us to have eyes that see, help us to have eyes that see other people's children. People that don't even think about you, but they have children, dear God, that you have a plan for and you have a purpose and they were created to do something awesome for Jesus. Lord, let the Holy Spirit draw us and call us and let us recognize those children and let us pray for them, God, because I know, dear Lord, that you're coming as soon and we want to live with you forever in your kingdom. So I just ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see everybody, especially mothers today. I have a special place in my heart for mothers. I think they're like the most special people that God ever created was mothers. So... Uh, i got a lot to say, so let's pray, okay? Jesus, I love you today. I'm so thankful for this house, for this, these people, for these mothers today, Lord. We're just so grateful. Lord, I pray that your word, it does what it's supposed to do. It accomplishes everything, Lord, that you, that you plan for it to today, God. I pray, Lord, that my words would be your words, and someone today would understand a new battle plan, maybe, that encourages them and opens their eyes and helps us lead our children to Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of this um, sermon is A Must Win Battle. And uh, I was thinking about, you know, there's some things you can lose and it really don't matter. And I was thinking mainly like weight. We all like to lose that, don't we? So it's good to lose that. Um, this week, Rick and I uh, were at uh, Orange Beach. And, uh, you know, when I go to the beach, my hair's curly, and it just grows. It's just like, it's just this big. And so I had it tucked up under a ball cap. It was one of Rick's cap. It had an Alabama emblem on it. And we were there at the condo and kind of walking around. And this guy comes up to me, and he's from Oklahoma. He starts talking to me about Alabama football. <laughs> and I thought, well, I don't know anything about that. But he just kept saying, hey, y'all ready for this? And this is and this. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I really wouldn't say, I don't care. And then, <laughs> and then Rick was there, and he started laughing. He said, are you talking to my wife about sports? I mean, <laughs> she, don't, she does not care. I don't care if they win. I don't care if they lose. I don't lose any sleep over it. So there's some things that, you know, you can lose. It's not really a big deal. But the battle for the soul of our children is a must win. You see, there's not a second option. You, you just can't settle. There's some things I can settle on. There's some things I'll, you know, I'll settle about. Like, I might want to go somewhere to eat, but everybody else wants to go somewhere else. And I'm okay, I'll settle and go there. But this is one of those things that you cannot settle on. It is so important. And as Christian parents, we need to realize that. We need to realize the eternal destiny of our children is the most important matter of their life. 
I know we think, well, we want them to have a good school. We want them to get a good education. We want them to marry a good person, and we want them to have a great life. And all those decisions are very important, but they pale in the decision of where they spend eternity. And our job as parents, our most important job, is to lead our children to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and help them grow into mature Christians. And I know that you think this morning that I'm talking to parents or mothers. I'm really talking to everybody, but parents or mothers that have small children in their home. Because sometimes you think, well, they're not under my roof anymore. I don't have any control over what they do, and, and I, I can't make them do what, they want to, what I want them to do. But just remember this, the battle's not over yet. So we're going to win this battle. And, but we're going to have to realize something. We're going to have to realize that we have an opponent. And our opponent is relentless. Because he has a different plan for your child than spending eternity with Jesus. And he does not give up. So we can't give up. We have to be more relentless. We have to be more determined than he is. You know, I hear people all the time say, well, it's just such a scary time. It's a scary time to live. It's a scary time to be in. All these bad things happening. Uh, evil's just everywhere. And I, people, mothers are afraid for their children. But let me just tell you this. Um, there's always been evil. And even though the days we live in are evil, and they're probably the most evil days that I've lived in, and I've lived a good while, but they probably are the most evil days that I can remember. They're not the most evil time of all. I think about the time when Moses was born. You know, they were actually slaughtering children, male children. That was a scary time to be a parent, to be a mother. And then like... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken from their homeland. They were taken to a different country. They were taught uh, pagan ideas and worshipped, uh, commanded to worship a false idol. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. And they were thrown into a, a fiery pit. That's scary to me. It would really be scary for something for my child to have to endure. What about Daniel? He was thrown into a lion's den because he wouldn't stop praying. And uh, there's been uh, kids like David who had to actually go out and fight a giant. That would be scary for me, for my child. That I could say, boy, this is a scary time we're living here with all these giants. And sometimes we feel like that. We watch the news and we're scared to death. We, we turn on the news and we hear about this incident and that incident. And this, is, this happened and that happened. And I know back during COVID, I got really caught up in the news. And I just thought, i got to see what's going on. And I begin to, you know, think about it. And I would watch it and make sure, you know, I was doing the right things and everything. And I just thought, oh, this is going to take us down. This is how it's going to end. We're all going to get COVID and most of us are going to die. And the ones that don't get COVID and die, then they're going to starve to death because we can't get food out. And, and then, you know, and the churches can't open back up. And so people that die, probably most of them's going to go to hell. And so I just got all worried and everything. And one day I was reading something by Bill Johnson. He's the pastor at Bethel Church. And he said this, and it was like, wow, it just hit me right in the face. And we need to remember this. He said, if the mainstream media has more influence on you than the Word of God, then your discouragement is self-inflicted. And I, I was like, pow, that hit me right there. Because I am very uh, good at listening to the news and looking at it from their viewpoint. When I ought to take the Word of God and see what He says. And I think He says He's overcome. I believe that's what he says. I have overcome everything. So, so don't listen to that. But it is an, uh, uh, a scary time at times. And it's scary because we have an opponent that wants something different from what, our, what we want. He does not want our children to know Jesus. He doesn't want them to have a great life. His plan is to kill, steal, and to destroy. But So I think that in this battle, we're going to have to... Be very determined and very focused. And we're going to have to do a lot of praying. A whole lot of praying. And I don't think it's going to have to be prayer that we say, you know, sometimes when we go to bed at night, we're just really tired and we haven't prayed all day and been so busy. Just kind of fall into bed and just say these little prayers real quick and then drift off to sleep. I don't think we can keep praying those kinds of prayers. I think we're going to have to get on our face 
and pray some fervent prayer. Have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, start telling you their problems or something, their trials they're going through, and then you say, well, what can I do for you? And they say, well, all you can do is pray. And they say that, and I've said it before. All you can do is pray for me. That's all you can do. We say it like that's just like a very menial thing, a very trivial, wimpy thing we could do is pray when it's the exact opposite. It is the most powerful thing we could do. So when somebody says they're going to pray for you, you say, yes, you're going to get on your knees, you're going to call my name, and it's going to go to the throne of God, and things are going to change. That's a powerful thing. That's the most powerful thing you can do. So quit saying that. Quit saying just pray. Or all you can do is pray. Say, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray some of those James 5.16 prayers. Where it says that the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Some of those translations say the prayer of a, of a righteous person makes a difference. Changes things. Moves mountains. Prayer works. Because our God, he loves us. He cares about us. And he wants a great future for us. And... So we're going to have to start praying some of those hot prayers because that's what fervent means. It means passionate, something we feel that, that just ignites something in us. It's a hot, fervent prayer. And then there's another word up there that I really think we need to pay close attention to, and that's righteous. You don't hear a lot about righteousness anymore, you know. We have this kind of this idea of like, well, you know, if it makes you happy, you know, if you're happy, then God's happy. And that's just not true. That's wrong. Because the Word of God tells us that He expects us to be righteous. And I used to get hung up on that. I used to think that I was never good enough, that I could never, ever measure up. I would try, I would just do, and I would, I would just try to be the best person I could be. And, and I would get so hung up on being righteous that I would forget that I'm righteous because Jesus is righteous. He made me righteous. And when he forgave me of my sins, and when I am in him and he is in me, then when the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my righteousness. The Bible says that my righteousness is like filthy rags. But he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So let me tell you, stay righteous, Mom. Don't try to be one of those cool, groovy moms that, that you know, just does all the cool stuff. I'm not, I mean, you know, that's not a bad thing, but... Make sure you don't lose your righteousness. Make sure you make that priority. The Bible talks about putting on a breastplate of righteousness. And I was thinking about that. You know, the, a breastplate covers your front area where your heart is that pumps the blood and your lungs that breathe in the very oxygen and give you life. And if you're like me, then your life and the total air you breathe pretty much is all about your family. And the enemy would love for you to take that breastplate off so that he could get in there and do some destroying. But remember, we're going to stay righteous. We're going to stay right with God. And we're going to pray fervent prayers. That's the first thing we're going to do. And then the next thing we're going to do is we're going to be determined. It takes some determination. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about one of my favorite mothers in the Bible. And her name's Rispa. And I've talked about her before. It's been years and years ago. So if you remember that and you heard this, I mean, it's, a, it's different. But it, I did talk about Rispa. Then just say, well, the Lord must want me to hear it again. Because sometimes he has to tell me things several times before I ever get it in my head. Oh, yeah, I get that. So he may want you to hear it again. But Rispa's one of those stories you don't hear a lot about. So there may be some mothers here and you said, I've never, ever heard of her. She's in 2 Samuel, the 21st chapter. And let me just set it up a little bit because it's kind of a long story. But <clears throat> Saul was the king in, of Israel. And, you know, he wasn't always a really good king. He was, sometimes he was an evil king. And Joshua, way many years before Saul became king, had made a pact with the Gibeonites that they would not try to run them out of the land. And so Saul, he's king now, and he breaks that pact. He breaks that treaty. And he try, him and his family and his armies, they tried to exterminate, just execute and drive the Gibeonites out. And so now, in the 21st chapter of Samuel, Saul is dead, David is the king, and there's famine in the land. And David can't understand why there's a famine. So he prays and he asks God, and God tells him, he says, well, it's because of Saul, because he didn't do right. He broke that treaty. He uh, he mistreated the uh, Gibeonites 
And so David, he said that he would go and try to avenge that, to right that wrong. And he goes to the Gibeonites and he just tells them that, you know, what can we do? How can we make this right? Saul did this and we want to make it right. So the Gibeonites, they tell David, we want seven sons of Saul and we're going to execute them and we're going to put them up on the mountain. And I guess that's kind of like they were going to hang them on the mountain. It was kind of like maybe um, a sign that would say, Saul didn't win, or Saul, we got you back, or whatever, that they were going to hang them up there. So David said, okay, I'll do that. And he gave them five grandsons of Saul and two sons that belonged to Rispa. She was uh, one of Saul's wives, and he gave them two of those of her sons. And the Gibeonites, they did exactly that. They executed them, and they hung them on the mountain. And that's where I want to read from uh, today. Second Samuel 21 in the 10th verse says, Then Rispa, daughter of Ai, the mother of two of the men, spread burlap on a rock and stayed there the entire harvest season. She, pre she prevented the scavenger birds from tearing at their bodies during the day and stopped wild animals from eating them at night. So I can just see this in my mind. I just see Rispa, you know, I can't imagine that happening to your child. That would just be horrible. But I know her heart was just so grieved, and, and she was so, she was just distraught, I'm sure. But I think she got to thinking about it. And I think she thought, hey, wait a minute. My sons are children of a king. And no matter what kind of king he was, he was still the king, and they deserved to be treated and buried like a king. They don't deserve this humiliation. And so she took that sackcloth, and she went to that mountain, and she got on a rock, and she sat on that sackcloth, and she kept birds away and wild animals away. And she said, I'm not leaving here until this is rectified, until somebody does something about this. And I, I tried to think about that. I thought, well, how did she do that? I mean, I see this little woman, and I'm sure she was little because there was a famine, you know. So, And I, she's probably just... Uh, her, you know, son burned and because of the dry land and everything, and she's out there in the heat, and how is she keeping the birds away and, and the animals away? And the only thing I could think of is that she would just take that sackcloth, and when birds would come, she would just swing it at them and knock them to the ground, and she would say, not, not my child. You're not, if you think you're going to light on my child and, and eat his flesh off of him, if you think you're going to tear his flesh from his bones, not, not my child. And she would take that sackcloth and swing it and knock him to the ground and keep him off that. And she had to do it all day long. And then at night, she had a bigger problem. She had wild animals. And I'm, I'm scared of wild animals, y'all. And so I thought, how did she do that? And I thought, well, it had to be with fire. So... And I used to think that, you know, I had this picture in my mind that they were up on this hill and she was down at the bottom of the mountain on a rock. But I don't think that anymore. I think she kept that fire close, right up on them. That hot, fervent fire stayed right there around them. And when wild animals came up, they would see that hot, fervent fire. And she'd say, don't you dare. Don't you come close to my kids. You stay away from my kids because they're surrounded by this hot fervent fire that keeps the wild animals away you get what i'm saying don't let the enemy come near keep him away you take your sackcloth and you just wave it while i go after the first service i was talking to judy i think it was i don't know if she's still here and we had talked about this a long long time ago when we were back in our old building at one of our ladies groups or something and she said she said, remember, we cut up little pieces of burlap, and you gave us all little pieces of burlap. And she said, I still have that. And she said, sometimes I get it out, and I just wave it, and I, I hang it up on my door or something. I can't remember exactly what she said she did with it. You know what? You might need to get you some burlap and wave it at the enemy when he starts coming around saying, you know what? I'm going to take your child down. I'm going to take them out. They're not going to make it to heaven. They're not going to spend eternity around God's throne. You take, you take that sackcloth, and you say, not my child. Not my child, you're not. And then that hot, fervent prayer, it defeats Satan every single time. It deters his plan. 
It, it makes him void and null. It makes him powerless. You keep that fire burning all around your kids. And, and you pray those preventive prayers, not prayers after they've, they've gone astray, but pray prayers that prevent the enemy from even coming close. And I think Rispa, um, I think that's what she did. And, you know, it says she stayed there during barley season because our harvest season and I looked it up they were harvesting barley I don't know much about barley but it said that you it takes anywhere from three to six months that's barley season so she stayed on that rock for at least three months maybe longer that's a long time to sit on a rock with wild birds and wild animals picking at your children that's a long time and I think that's where you and I kind of get messed up because I know I do we say all the time, I meant to pray. I meant to get in my prayer closet and pray today. But, man, time just got away from me today. I think we need to stop saying that because we make time for what we make priority. And I know this. I know that if you could get in your car and go to Target and buy whatever it is your child needs that would fix their situation, you'd do it. You'd get, and probably pick you up a pair of shoes while you were there. But, and, and, and if you got there and they didn't have it, you would go back the next day and the next day until they had it. And if you got there and there was this really long line waiting for that same item, you'd get in line and wait because your child needs it. I know we, you would do that because just think about Now, I know now at Christmas time we order a lot of things online, but used to... What would we do? The day after Thanksgiving, stores would open really early, like at 2 or 3 in the morning. And we would get us, and I didn't do this, but I've, I've seen it on the news. Okay, I saw it on the news. And they would take a lawn chair and sit out in front of the store in the cold and wait for that store to open so they could go in and buy that, that toy, that item that, you know, that child needed. And they would wait there in the cold. I remember when Kristen was a little girl, uh, Cabbage Patch dolls were, they were all the rage. Everybody had to have a pair, Cabbage Patch doll. And that's what mothers did. They waited. And they found who was having the best sale. And they would get in line early before the store opened. And they would wait to, in that line and go in and get that Cabbage Patch doll. And if you went in there and there was just a couple of Cabbage Patch dolls left, those women would fight you they would get you on the ground and beat you up I saw that on the news I didn't do that Kristen didn't have a cabbage patch doll <laughs> I figured that they were ugly and I didn't want to lose my life over it I am not a fighter so but that was but they would over a cabbage patch doll for their child has your child ever said um mom I got a project due you do when in the morning Oh, wow, what do you need? Well, I need a poster board, and I need some modeling clay, and I need some spray paint. And so you know what moms do? At 8 o'clock at night, they get in their car, and they go to Walmart, and they buy the poster board and the clay and whatever else they need because they need it. We do things like that. We spend time where we want to spend time. So stop saying you don't have time. Make time. You make time to do things like that. Make time. It is important because you are praying and giving your child the very thing that will affect them, not just today, but for eternity. Don't forget to pray. Don't just think it's something small or just a small task that you could just do anytime. No, it is priority. And pray those hot, fervent prayers. Because when you do, the king will hear. He will hear you. He heard Rispa. It says, when David learned what Rispa, Saul's concubine, had done, he went to the people of Jabesh-Gilead and retrieved the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan. When the Philistines had killed Saul and Jonathan on Mount Gilboa, the people of Jabesh-Gilead stole their bodies from the public square of Bethshon, where the Philistines had hung them. So David obtained the bones of Saul and Jonathan, as well as the bones of the men and the, Gibeon, the Gibeonites had executed. So David heard about it, and he said, we got to do something about it. And he not only took Rispa's boys, 
He took five others. And then he gave Saul and Jonathan a, a proper burial. And then it says the king ordered that they bury the bones in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father, at the town of Zalah in the land of Benjamin. And after that, God ended the famine in the land. You know, God, he's just a God of more than enough. He always does exceeding abundantly more than we ask or think. Because she was out there for her two sons. But five were saved. Have you ever thought if you could save someone else's child? What the influence you could have on someone else's child? We were, uh, we had an event in here a few weeks ago, and it was one of the high schools had a, a banquet, I believe it was, and all these kids were in here, and they were just having a great time. And I was in here watching them. They were cutting up and everything, and so I was watching them. And I just felt such a heaviness. I just felt like, like a burden. I felt like the Lord said, David, pray for these kids. Some of them don't have anyone that calls their name in prayer. And I thought, that's the saddest thing I ever heard. Can you imagine not having anyone that actually calls your name out to God? So I just prayed. I said, God, I don't know these kids. I don't know their name. You know their name. You know what they're going through. And somehow, some way, put someone in their path that can speak Jesus to them, that can give them uh, the ways to Jesus. Put, the, put someone in their life. And don't let the enemy steal away that plan that you have for them, that purpose that you have for them. And I, and I just got to thinking about it as I was studying this. I thought, you know, I go pick up Macy sometimes and I'm sitting in car line. You know what I do? Read my phone, read an article or something on my phone. Or I listen to music. What if I sit there and I just prayed one of those fervent prayers, God, you know every child in this building. Don't let the enemy steal him. Don't let his plan succeed. Don't let his, uh, the, his temptations overcome them, God. You, you save them. You, you let them. Don't let one of them be lost. Have you ever thought about that? What, if prayer is really that powerful, then we need to be praying it every chance we get over every child. We look at the world today, and we really want to complain about it. And we say, well, all these people didn't raise their kids right. I've heard people say that. Well, what did you do? Did you ever think about praying for someone else's child? A fervent prayer? Not just me, not just my child. Because if I raise my child right and, I've, and he serves God or she serves God, just think maybe they can influence other children and the ch other children that are one. We're never going to take this thing back until we get serious about prayer and reaching other people. But not, it's not just me. It's not just my children. It's, it's whoever we come in contact with. I believe God wants mothers to pray not just for their children, but for other children. Um, but God is a God of more than enough. He always gives us more than we ask for. I like what Priscilla Shire says. She says that when she goes before the Lord, she just lays her prayers out. And she says, God, do this or do something better. And sometimes, he, most of the time, he does something better, just like he did for Rispa. The king will hear, and the king will move. Um, and then I said that God ended the famine. And I thought about that, too. I thought, wait a minute. I thought the deal was that David would avenge the, the Gibeonites. He would give them what they wanted, and the famine would be ended. But here it is, at least three months, maybe even longer, and God's just now ending the famine. And I thought about that, and I just asked God. And I felt like God said, because Rispa, her prayer was important too. Her request was important too. She had to be avenged. You know, aren't you glad that James 5.16 doesn't say the fervent prayer of an important person avails much? Or a rich person? Or a talented person? Or a preacher? Or an evangelist? Or a grow group leader avails much? It just says a righteous person. See, Rispa... She made a request. The king made a request, but apparently hers overrode his. Hers was higher, and God did not send the rain down, and he did not end the famine until she was avenged. Don't ever think that your prayers aren't important. Don't ever think that your prayers aren't getting through. Have you ever said, oh, my prayers aren't going anywhere? 
They just go up to the ceiling and come back down. Have you ever said that or heard somebody say it? That's a lie. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. You know how I know? Because John, he saw what happens to prayers. You know, he was on the Isle of Patmos, and God began to reveal things to him, um, things to come. You know, we think about that in the end times, that God revealed all that to him. But God also opened up heaven and let him look into heaven. And God said, write these things down, John. And that's where we get revelation from, the book of Revelation. He said, write these things down. And he starts out writing these things about he sees the lamb, which is Jesus. And he sees the lamb open the seals. And all these things start to happen. And he writes it down. And then in the 8th chapter, he opens a seal. And I want to read it to you. But I'm, I'm not just going to read Revelation chapter 8. I want to read to you about Max Lucado writes. Um, he writes this in The Great House of God. If you've ever written that book, uh, if you ever read that book, it's really good. So if you need a good book to read, I advise you to go get The Great House of God. It's an old book, but it's really good. And, in, and he talks about prayer. And I want to read how he, how he explains it because I love the way he writes about it. And this is how, what he says. He says, for eight chapters, we read about the noises of heaven John hears, the glorious, loud, rambunctious, soft, holy sounds of heaven. The angel speaks, the thunder booms, the living creatures chant, holy, 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 the elders worship. You are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power because you made all things. The souls of the martyrs cry out, how long? The earthquakes, the stars fall like fig, figs in a windstorm. 144,000 people from every nation, tribe, people, and language of the earth shout in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The air is full of sounds, earthquakes, trumpets, proclamations, declara declarations. From the very first word of the angel, there is constant, nonstop activity until chapter 8, verse 1. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Heaven hushed as the Lamb opened the seventh seal. The first six seals reveal how God acts, but the seventh seal reveals how God listens. Look what happens when the seventh seal is open. And when the angel opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of God's holy people, God's righteous people, holy people upon the altar, and which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense came up with the prayers of God's righteous, holy people and ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it to the earth. And there was voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes. Every song ceased. Every being of the heavenly city hushed. The noises stopped. A sudden stillness fell like a curtain. Why? Why did the lamb lift his hand for silence? Because someone was praying. Heaven always pauses to hear the prayers of a someone, a mother for her child, a pastor for his church, a doctor for the deceased, a counselor for the confused. When someone steps up to the furnace with a burden and prays, don't ever let Satan, don't ever let the enemy, don't ever let your mind tell you that your prayers are not heard by God. They go up before the throne, and God hears every prayer. We just read about it. We just read about where our prayers go and what they do, and they're powerful. And so our prayers don't stop until they reach the throne of God. So I want to encourage you this morning to read, to pray fervent, hot, passionate prayers with determination because that's what I see in Rispa. She just wouldn't give up. She just would not take no for an answer. Um, our prayers, I believe that our prayers never die, but I just think they continue to go up before the throne. And 
That's why I'm still alive, probably, because the prayers that my mom prayed continuously go before the throne of God. Otherwise, there have been some days I would have probably lost my mind, but those prayers. We want to leave our kids stuff. We want to leave them a heritage. We want to leave them money. We want to leave them wealth, an inheritance. Why don't you leave them some prayers? Why don't you leave them some fervent hot prayers that continually go up before the throne and make a difference? Make a difference in where they spend eternity. Make a dis difference for eternity. Now, I know I've talked a lot this morning about people, about kids, and, I, and you probably think, well, you know, like I said, you're, just, you're talking about people that have children in their home, and they can make them do what they want them. But my children are up out of the house now, and they make their own decisions. And they've decided not to be a Christian. They've decided not to include Jesus in their life. And, and my heart's there with you. I understand. I do. That's got to be just heart-wrenching, and I understand what you're t going through. But don't give up because, like I said, the battle's not over. And I just want to tell you that God does not override the will of our children. He just doesn't. And he doesn't override the will of any person. We, we get free choice. We get to choose if we're going to serve the Lord or not. So I know that it's heart-wrenching when our children decide that they don't, you know, believe the word of God anymore. That's got to be, you know, awful. But listen, he doesn't override their will. But you know what he does? He does miracles. That's just what God does is miracles. And he can change their heart and their mind and give them a turnaround. I believe he's the God of a turnaround, of a second chance. And I know this, that he wants your child to spend eternity with him way more than you do. So much that he laid down his life. Thanks for listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a need, we would love to pray with you. You can connect with our prayer team by emailing prayer at church2911.com or by texting 205-476-2911. You can learn more about our church by visiting us online at church2911.com and by connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram at church2911. We hope this message has encouraged you and reminded you that God loves you and has an amazing dream for your life. As always, we dare you to dream.